Yo, what's up? This is Freddie Adu. I want to give a shout out to Adam and Zach from Denver. Uh, they host a uh, EPO podcast called The False Nines. Check them out and, uh, you know, show them some love, man. Peace out. everyone and welcome to the false nines this is the 73rd episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion i am your host zach pensack back with another season of the false nines just days before the premier league season kicks off alongside my co-host adam goffin adam how are you doing today footy zach i am pumped for the new season footy I hope that none of that enthusiasm involves Newcastle United because there's there's no reason to be pumped. But soccer's back, and that's exciting. Well, there is reason to be pumped because Newcastle right now are on a level playing field with the entire yeah. Premier League. We are we are tied for zero place. <laughs> we are both first and last <laughs> concurrently. It's just great. It's what a, what a time to be alive. That's true. It's true, yeah. I guess this might be the most jolly we are about Newcastle's place in the Premier League all season. So let's cherish it. Let's yep, and, uh, we, and we smashed yeah. Norwich in a preseason game in our last time out. And Dwight Gale Good. scored two goals, which is two more than he'll score in the Premier League this season. <laughs> I I think that's probably a good prediction. Uh, yeah, um, I didn't really follow. I didn't really like not even just Newcastle. I didn't really follow a lot of matches over the last month. Tried to kind of disconnect. Uh, from from football as a whole, except for uh, you know everything that went down with Messi and Grealish in the last two weeks, that was something you couldn't really avoid as as a football fan. That is true. Did you watch any Olympics though? More importantly, uh, I did watch a little bit of the. I didn't watch a lot of Olympic soccer. I watched um, other events. I found indoor volleyball to be my favorite event this year. That is Ooh. pretty exciting. Yeah, I watched a bit of that myself as well. Um, I, I enjoy the gymnastics every year. I think that's always gymnastics is good and entertaining. And then diving. For some reason, diving is one of those sports that's just like really beautiful to watch. It's like the especially the synchronized diving. I think it's incredible. Synchronized diving is nuts. Yeah, yeah, that stuff is insane. I agree like, with you. I can't. We 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 speak on a podcast every two weeks, and we can't synchronize anything. I mean, we've we've just spent thirty five minutes technically troubleshooting technical difficulties and there's nothing synchronized about what we've done so far so that's a great point yeah we are not we are in no way shape or form similar to synchronized divers <laughs> in any in, in any sort of way diving or non-diving related um so yeah i'm gonna, I'm gonna slide move myself a little bit okay i've repositioned everyone I'm, I'm comfortable i'm ready to record this podcast uh so yeah an exciting one where we took a little bit of a hiatus uh to kind of regroup over the latter part of the summer after Euro, uh, the Euro 2021 ended. But again, with the Premier League just days away, we realized we had to get right back into it and got a lot to cover, Adam. A lot to cover. Um, what are we going to talk about today? Some transfers, uh, mm -hmm. some of our 2021-2022 questions and predictions uh, in terms of people uh, or placement in the table as well as player awards and then we'll 
dive into the opening weekend before closing it out with armchair pundits in 10 and 90 first time we've done armchair pundits in a while so yeah. good to bring it yeah. back exactly it's a good time to be making predictions as well obviously going into the first weekend of the season i think there's plenty that you could kind of hang your hat on and then inevitably probably be proven proven wrong in the coming weeks exactly yeah um so yeah why don't we why don't we kick it off uh with some epl trivia all right yeah for me today? I got a really good one for you today. I did quite a bit of homework on this one, so hopefully you'll be proud of the question. Um, it's a pretty simple question, and I think that you'll spend some time trying to work out the answer. Question is, Zach, including Brentford, who make their EPL debut this weekend, how many London-based clubs have appeared in the Premier League since it began in 1992? That's fun. I did not know Brentford was in London. That I just assumed it was its own city called Brentford. So that's yeah. that's one more than I would have guessed before this podcast. <laughs> there you go. So exactly. So you've got you've got one now, um, and you yeah. can probably figure out some of the obvious ones. But yeah. I'll give you I'll give you a clue halfway through, and uh, obviously a final clue at the end, and we'll reveal the answer. Okay, this is interesting. This is kind of a different type of question than usual, where um, usually it kind of centers around like a player or a team name that I can I can you know gravitate towards. But this is. Mm-hmm. A number which is a lot more abstract so yeah and you've got a good shot of this i would say there's, there's there's very obvious ones so i think you'll be within one or two and you do need to get it absolutely correct though to in order to get full credit for this question though. okay okay um yeah we'll we'll see how i do there no margin of error uh all right cool 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 so um as we uh just mentioned there has been quite a bit of transfer activity going on Really throughout the whole summer, um, a lot of moving pieces in into the Premier League and out of the Premier League. But for sake of not going through every single transfer uh, that has happened or has not happened, um, we'll, we'll kind of scale this one down to the three most expensive transfers. Uh, just talking about players going coming into the Premier League or or moving to a Premier League club. So just to remind everyone, the transfer window does not close until 11 p.m. on August 31st. So we still have a few weeks to go until then. But up until this point, uh, the three most expensive transfers are as follows. Jack Grealish moving from Aston Villa to Manchester City for 100 million pounds, just followed by Romelu Lukaku moving from Inter Milan back to Chelsea for 97 million pounds. Little asterisk on that one. Technically, the deal is not entirely confirmed, although reports today coming out that he is currently in London taking a physical. Um, So that one all but done pending a failed physical that nobody would really expect. And then uh, third and finally, Jadon Sancho making a move from Borussia Dortmund to Manchester United for 72 million pounds. So let's start from the top here, Adam. Grealish, Villa to City. This seemed like a transfer that was fairly inevitable. Um, I think the the most interesting parts of this in my mind were a, the price, and B, um, kind of the, the way in which it worked out in uh, in the in the backroom discussions as was made fairly public by uh, people covering the uh, transfer as well as actually the chairman of Aston Villa coming out and making a statement as well. So uh, Grealish to Mancetti, what, what are your kind of, what were your rapid reactions um, when you saw this happen and what, what a couple weeks out are you, are you thinking about it now? Um, 
It's an interesting question. I think the first thing I would say about Grealish making the move from Villa to Man City is that they overpaid for him. Uh, I think when you look at comparable transfers, $100 million for a player that isn't starting for his national team seems like an incredibly high amount of money. Um, and then we'll talk about Jaden Sancho in a little bit, but Jaden Sancho is also a player who wasn't starting for his international team during the Euros and got a couple of cameo appearances as did Grealish. So it's interesting to see the price tag of some of these players coming into the Premier League. Now, you, you definitely, there is an element to these players being English-born players, and obviously that lending itself to the fact that they're going to be commanding a higher price tag. So I think that you always get that natural inflation there. Um, and I do rate Grealish. I think he's a top, top-class player. He's done a magnificent job for Villa over the years, been incredibly loyal, been a season ticket holder at that club since the age of four years old. I read that stat today. Um, so it must have been difficult for him, but he wants to play in the Champions League and he wants to play for a team that's going to win trophies. And I think the most interesting thing I've read about reports since he's made that move is just how glowing he's been about Pep Guardiola and the chance to learn from Pep Guardiola and improve his game under him, I think, is was a huge driver and motivating factor for Grealish making this move to Manchester. And that was something that you and I spoke about over the phone right after this transfer broke is an interesting element of this uh is that Jack Grealish is going from being the best player on Aston Villa by a considerable margin for you know the last say three some odd years uh, to being a you know a, a top level player, but I, I don't think very many people would say out and out the best player on Manchester City without you know any shadow of doubt, and I don't think that that's a, a bad thing at all. I think that that puts him in a really great position to you know have maybe a chip on his shoulder or really be striving to maintain the form to keep himself in the starting 11, which again, at Villa, unless he was injured, he was starting every single match, regardless of his form and rightly so. Um, but this is going to require him to kind of reach a new level. And I think that that's, uh, you know, a lot of money was, was paid for him. Um, you know, there were, there were talks about uh, Aston Villa setting a hard, hard price tag of a hundred million and not accepting anything less. So obviously, you know, that played a huge part, but I think that Manchester city is also, you know, buying Jack Grealish on the potential for him going forward, not necessarily or exclusively on what he offers right now, but the fact that he's still a, young player still has a lot of untapped potential and is still a little raw in certain aspects of his game. And that's where a team like Manchester city is able and willing to make an investment of that size, uh, you know, for the ceiling that Jack Grealish offers. Yeah. I think it, I think it's a good signing for Manchester city in that it addresses a couple of problem areas in the team. And I don't think they care that they overpaid. I think they can afford it. I think that, they were willing to meet the price no matter what the price was because they feel like this player is really going to fit the blueprint for them and he's going to make a huge difference for them in terms of some areas where they struggled from a creative standpoint last season. Obviously, the the big piece to the pie for Manchester City is that they still don't have as much depth in attack, especially with Aguero going to Barcelona in the offseason. They're really kind of a little bit lean in attack now and we talked about Gabe Jesus not being the answer. Um, for, for quite some time. So I think they're still missing that top-class striker, but can you imagine this team if you put Harry Kane in it? I mean, it's it's just it's a, it, it's, it's an incredibly daunting prospect for the rest of the Premier League to potentially have, you know, Sterling, Grealish, and 
<laughs> and Harry Kane in the same attack. Absolutely. And that that kind of touches upon another you know, aspect of Jack Grealish, which is that he, he can be placed in a number of different positions. And, you know, people, I think a lot of people expect that he'll be starting on the left wing is that's where he, you know, has mainly plied his trade. But, you know, if you want to be fitting him, uh, Sterling, Foden, Mares, three of those four in the team at the same time, you'll, you'll probably have to either put one of them in a false nine or drop them into an attacking midfield. And I'd say that Grealish of those four players is the player uh, who is most adept at kind of switching between these different roles. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, again, I, I, like you said, not money is never a concern with Manchester City. So it was more just how much money would it take to get him. So credit to Villa for holding firm to the hundred million pound price tag. Uh, okay, on to the second most expensive transfer, Romelu Lukaku, going back to Chelsea, the place that he was cast away many moons ago. Uh, a lot of a lot of fun, kind of like character arcs on this one. Uh, Lukaku coming back to you know prove everybody wrong, uh, although doing it, you know, not against, but at the club that that turned him away. Um, were you surprised by this transfer at all? I was surprised only in that I, I didn't see him coming back to the Premier League in his career. I thought that he kind of like had his day there. Um, successful, but not overly successful at Manchester United. Um, and I think it's all down to the financial problems that Inter Milan are having right now they're looking yeah. at they're, they're looking at kind of like potential transfers to bring in as a replacement for Lukaku and one of the ones I saw linked was Martial for Manchester United for 50 million and apparently they can't they can't afford to basically invest half of the money that they're getting for Lukaku back into the team because they are in such financial uh, constraints right now so that that was a huge motivating factor for Inter Milan to want to sell him um, I'm just surprised that Number one, he came back to the Premier League, and number two, he went back to Chelsea, where he really struggled to make a name for himself previously. I didn't think that made logical sense, and I don't know that necessarily that's the area where Chelsea needs strengthening first. I think that latter point is the one that more intrigues me. Is is Lukaku, you know, filling a gap that is big enough to vault Chelsea into the title contention? Because coming off the Champions League when you'd have to think obviously they want to defend that, but that's kind of the, the Premier League is the next goal for them to reach as a team that last time Chelsea won the Premier League in, in 2016, this their team looked a lot different than it does now. Um, so a lot of young players who have never tasted Premier League glory. And I do think it'll be interesting, I, especially under the system that Thomas Tuchel uh, operates. Uh, you know, he oftentimes we'll we'll have the striker drop back and defend he he does kind of play this fairly counter-attacking style football and that works a lot with Chelsea um but Lukaku you know physically and and speed wise offers you a lot so uh, on paper he he could fit in nicely there but i i agree with you it was a little surprising to see Chelsea address um the number 9 position rather than perhaps getting you know a little bit more depth in defense with an aging uh, back line. Uh, but I, I do think like Lukaku had a fantastic season for Inter. He had a great, he had a great Euro tournament, which always hikes the price up a little bit more. But uh, I think between Grealish and Lukaku, this is the one that surprised me a little bit with how much money was being exchanged for 
the services. Um, and yeah, there's going to be the constant talk from the media of, you know, can he, can he come back to the Premier League and have success after kind of the, the fizzling out that happened at Manchester United? Yeah, I think it's a great point. And when you, when you look at Lukaku, again, you're bringing in a number nine. And I, I personally think that Timo Werner is going to have a great season this year. Um, he really struggled to kind of settle in and adapt last season. But I'm going to make an, a prediction right now. Adam's prediction number one of the pod is that Timo Werner has a at least double-digit goal season for Chelsea um, and probably surpasses 15 goals for the season. Wow. That is a bold claim after Chelsea nearly broke their club transfer record for a player. So, or did they, is this the most expensive transfer in Chelsea history? I, I think, think it so. is. I think yeah, so. I think yeah, it, I think I think it surpasses Kepa Rita Balaga at 80 million um, several years ago. They so. probably just want to make the transfer just so they could get that record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, yeah, Lukaku, again, a lot of interesting subplots to this one, one of which... I think is, you know, what is this attack going to look like? Just like Manchester City, you have a lot of names on the team sheet, but you're not sure, you know, who are the ones who can kind of cut the grade um, in the starting 11. So a lot of competition up there. Yep, absolutely. On to um, our third most expensive player of the transfer window, the most drawn out transfer perhaps in the history of the Premier League, Jaden Sancho from Borussia Dortmund to Manchester United. I think that one lasted about four separate transfer windows in terms of the winter and summer ones. And he finally made the move from Germany to Manchester United, uh, applying his trade for the first time as a professional in England. So 72 million was the price. Um, for my first thought about this is actually comparing Jaden Sancho and Jack Grealish here, 72 million for a player who is three, three or four years the junior of Jack Grealish. Um, obviously with maybe a little bit higher of a ceiling there. Who do you think got the better deal here? Do you think 72 million for Sancho or do you think 100 million for Grealish is better value in the longer term? Better value is a tough, tough way to, tough way to skin a cat. Um, I think probably Manchester United got better value. I The thing about this transfer that puzzles me a little bit is I'm not necessarily sure that Manchester United needed and this is kind of similar to what we just said about Chelsea like I'm not sure that Manchester United United need to, to spend 72 million on a winger now like going into the summer I said that their biggest transfer need was at center back and just after Sancho they filled that by buying Rafael Varane um so credit to Manchester United you know filling those holes and I think Varane and Harry Maguire next to each other in the center of defense is going to be pretty impressive to watch uh but yeah you look at Manchester United and you, you see Daniel James, you see Anthony Martial, you see Rashford, you see Greenwood, you see Bruno Fernandes, who can kind of play all over the attacking five. And you just wonder, like, what, yeah, like, what was it a case that this, like you said, this has dragged on for so long? They were like, well, we just, we have to do this. We have to buy Jaden Sancho at this point. Um, I'm interested to see, like, you'd expect at 72 million that he'll be starting in, in the first game, but. Now, a lot of players who are all around the same age vying for similar positions at Manchester United, many of them being academy products. And I think the dynamic there is going to be really interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm also very curious to see where he fits. And to be honest, just curious to watch Jaden Sancho play in general. I'm not a huge Bundesliga fan. Um, most of when I've seen Sancho play has been watching him in European football. 
um, and not really watching Bundesliga itself. So I'm excited just to see him as an English prospect who's been playing outside of the league, playing, coming and playing in the Premier League. Like Bellingham's another player who was great to see cameos from him in the Euros. Mm-hmm. And eventually we'll look forward to him inevitably, I'm sure, coming back to England and playing his trade in the Premier League. So I, I'm curious to see where he fits. And I'm also curious to see um, the style of play that we can expect from Jaden Sancho. For me, I think that Manchester United got the better deal of the two players there, um, both from a spending less standpoint. And I think the, they have the higher upside in terms of Sancho as well. I think that's a that's a fair that's a fair assessment to make. So question for you, Adam. Uh, those are the top three most expensive transfers. Obviously, a lot of transfers have taken place uh, throughout the Premier League over the last couple of months uh, besides those three. So outside of the top three most expensive transfers, I'm curious, which player are you most interested to watch at his new club? Uh, this was a great question. I'm glad you asked it in advance. I had some time to think about this one. Um, I'm going to go with your beloved Leicester City here for this one. And the player I picked was somebody called Patson Daka, FIFA 21 darling, um, signs for Newcastle pretty much every time that um, I, I play career mode in FIFA 21. And this kid is is unbelievably quick and unbelievably talented. Um, he is he's basically the first sign. I, I guess you could say that Ihanacho was the first sign, but Daka certainly is the first sign. Um, since since this transfer window at least that they're looking to plan for life after Jamie Vardy, and I think that you know they've got Ihanacho, they've got Daka. Jamie Vardy is in his mid thirties now. He's going to start to lose a little bit of turn of pace here pretty soon. So having those two players really shows me that Leicester have a long term plan. Um, they brought him in from Red Bull Salzburg. Um, Twenty three million was the was the price. He's a 22-year-old. He topped the scoring charts in Austria last season, 27 goals in 28 games, and they got him for 23 million. Um, and I think he's going to cause players a lot, or defenders a lot of problems here in English football. And the last thing I want to mention was he took penalty kicks for his old club. Sounds very familiar to one Jamie Vardy to me. So I'm really interested to see how Pat Sandaka has his first season at Leicester this season. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be an interesting one. The long-term planning is something that <laughs> I, I mentioned, I harp on it quite often that I'm, you know, very, very envious of, of true Leicester city fans. Um, and one of those reasons is, you know, the, the vision that their ownership has for that club, not just in the coming season, but in, in seasons to come. Uh, so yes, I very excited to watch that one. Very excited to see Lester as always. Hopefully they don't choke, but that's becoming a bit of an interesting <laughs> statement to make at the beginning of the campaign. Um, before we jump on to uh, kind of more, uh, I'd say holistic questions about the Premier League season to come. Are there any other transfers that have stuck out to you as being particularly interesting? Yeah, I made a, I made a little short list here. Um, before I move on from Leicester as well, I did hear a rumor in the press today that James Madison is being touted for a 60 million move from Leicester to Arsenal. Curious because Leicester have finished above Arsenal in the Premier League for two seasons in a row now. Um, not only was that the rumor, but the rumor to follow that transfer would be Leicester are not worried about giving up James Madison because they have an eye on one Jesse Lingard from Manchester United. Um, so I thought that was really curious. Nothing obviously has happened yet as of recording this pod on Wednesday night, but just thought that was very interesting link for Leicester uh, that they'd be willing to give him up and bring in Lingard 
who's certainly a little bit older than he is and would cost a fraction of the cost, I'm sure. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. We, we can talk. Hopefully we don't have to talk about that next episode. because hopefully that fizzles out. I don't, I don't think that that would be a good that. move. No, I, don't, I, I don't really like that at all. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> but no, an interesting, you, you know, uh, in the summer, we have to keep an eye on all the, the transfer rumors, regardless of how, how, uh, you know, kind of, uh, how real they are. So yeah, I'm yep, glad so, you shouted that out. Of course. So I'll go quick fire. And then I want to hear if you have a player um, that you're most excited to, watch at their new club this season the notable signings that i've got listed are alphonse Ariola, psg to west ham goalkeeper uh, played for fulham on loan last year from psg obviously donnarumma has made the transfer to from milan to psg this offseason he's going to be their keeper for the next 10 to 15 years so Ariola is going to be on his way out inevitably at some point and now we have um in, in he comes to west ham then i have three players coming into aston villa we talked about grealish Heading out of Villa, we've got Emi Buendia from Norwich to Villa. thought that was very curious that Norwich, after getting promoted, would give up their best player for $38 million. Danny Ings, this one came out of completely out of left field, from Southampton to Villa for $30 million. I think a lot of that was Southampton were surprised that Villa were willing to offer that much for Ings, but I think it's a great signing for, for Villa. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Leon Bailey from Leverkusen to Villa. Haven't haven't heard a lot about him don't know a lot about him but i've heard people are very excited about that prospect he's a left-sided midfielder um, and then obviously Grealish was a left winger ben white from brighton to arsenal for 50 million classic arsenal overpaying for an english defender <laughs> rafael varan real madrid to manchester united 41 million when you compare varan for 41 million and ben white for 50 million you know who got the better deal there Ibrahima Konate, RB Leipzig to Liverpool, 28 million, super highly rated, has had a really good preseason so far. They see him as the long-term future alongside Virgil van Dijk, and they've strengthened an area which they struggled in last season. Bubakari Sumare, um, somebody who Newcastle were linked with pretty strongly a couple seasons ago, and he turned them down, made the transfer from Lille, who won Ligue 1 last season, to Leicester for 17 million. Could be a really good box-to-box midfielder for Leicester this season already won his first trophy in the community shield um Josh Sargent uh Werder Bremen to Norwich for eight million um finally Joe Willock Arsenal to Newcastle is still pending sounds like they're going um, back and forth on personal terms he wants to be one of the higher paid players at the club and probably deserves to be based on his performances last season um any of those stick out for you I'd love to get your take on Josh Sargent uh, is definitely one I want to hear from you on, but any of those other ones stick out for you, Zach? Uh, yeah, the Josh, Josh Sargent one uh, excites me as you know, an American, and uh, we're a year out from the next World Cup, and Sargent, one of those names that's heavily connected to the number nine position on the U.S. national team, with a lot of you know, the the kind of, kind of lack of quality that we have there not to insult josh Sargent, but uh i just laughed about that one that he josh Sargent trading uh a team that just got relegated in Werder bremen for a team that just got promoted in norwich so you'd have to say that for his career he is making a step up staying at the top division um it will be interesting to see him in the premier league i think that of all other uh leagues like top leagues in europe the Bundesliga is maybe the most comparable to the Premier League in terms of style. Uh, I think there, there are uh, quite a lot of differences, but I'd say that the Bundesliga also known for being a bit of a physical league, which is kind of the, you know, the Premier League's calling card. So uh, Sergeant, 
uh, I think it was eight goals for Werder Bremen in their ill-fated season last year. And excited to see him um, playing, you know, in, in the Premier League. Uh, in terms of other transfers that were particularly interesting uh, for me in the summer transfer window, uh, let me think if there's another one that quickly pops into mind. Um, I think you pretty much covered it. Yeah, those were like the top 10 to 13, uh, including the three most expensive. So, um, yeah, again, a lot of interesting action in the Premier League or going into the Premier League uh, this season. Yep, a lot of money spent. And I think that, you know, that's that's interesting in and of itself, given the situation we found ourselves in with COVID. We thought that there was going to be a lack of spending this season or this off season, I should say, because of the fact that we've had such tight purse strings following COVID. And it's been really cool to see the amount of money that teams have invested um, after after what we thought was going to be a slower time in the transfer market. Yeah, the, the one thing that I will say, uh, just as a token Newcastle statement before we move on here, um, I definitely think that Willock should be one of the highest paid players and will be wondering if, you know, fingers, fingers crossed, if that finger, if that, if that deal gets done, uh, does it mean the end of John Joe Shelby in the Newcastle starting 11? Because you'd have to think that there's not room for Isaac Hayden, John Joe Shelby, Joe Willick, Miggy Almiron, Alan St. Maximin, all in the starting 11 for Newcastle. And I pray that Steve Bruce uh, does not find a way to prove me wrong there. <laughs> no, because the two highest paid players at Newcastle are Shelby and St. Maximin on 90000 a week. Currently, Emil Kraft somehow is being paid 75000 a week, hashtag stealing a career. Um, and then you got Joe Willick coming in. Damn straight, he should be earning 90000 a week compared to those players. You know, say Maximin, I think, is is rightly up there. Shelby somehow has has managed to procure that much wages from Newcastle. But I digress. I don't I don't think that'll be the end of John Joe Shelby. That's my my prediction. Unfortunately, I agree with you. Um, okay, on to uh, kind of looking at the the season as a whole, less about the the individual players and more about what we are looking for. You know, we we talk about storylines quite often. That's kind of a big thing in European football uh year after year is is what's going to happen in the new season and how um will it be viewed by the general public so for this one adam i am curious uh and i know i asked you this before so it's not on the spot um what are the two biggest questions that you have going into the 2021-2022 premier league campaign yeah, the first one I think is something I think most of our listeners will be curious to hear our perspective on. I'll, I'll come to you first with this, Zach. Can Liverpool mount a title challenge this season? Um, I personally am um, interested to see how they will rebound after what was a massively disappointing kind of sophomore season last year after finally kind of winning the big one and, and winning the Premier League. Manchester City have clearly strengthened. Liverpool haven't necessarily massively invested in their team outside of the defensive reinforcements that we talked about, Konate. He was actually somebody that I was thinking about maybe listing as my most interesting signing for the offseason as well. But what are your thoughts on Liverpool in general? Do we think with Virgil van Dijk coming back, strengthening in the de defense, that they have enough to be able to mount a title challenge this year? 
No, I, do, I don't think that they're going to be mounting a title challenge. I do think that, you know, the Liverpool of last year is not really a good, um, a good, you know, kind of case to compare them to because they were missing Virgil van Dijk as well as virtually every other center back that was on uh, their 27 man roster at the beginning of the season. Um, so that's a little bit of a write off there. I, I think that Van Dyke's impact cannot be overstated uh, in any way. That being said, I think where Liverpool still is questionable is at the fullback position. Um, we saw both Alexander Arnold have a, a bit of a, you know, kind of an off run of form for parts of last year. And then I don't know if you saw this, Andy Robertson cited in a, uh, a boot a couple days ago, um, just days before the Premier League season beginning. So questions on his health. Um, but I think that Liverpool's biggest question marks come in the center of midfield. Genie Wijnaldum leaving on a free transfer, uh, going to PSG in the summer. And I, I wonder, you know, if they have the depth, not just to, to cover for injuries that are inevitably going to happen, but to be able to cycle between players, um, you know, if there is some a player or two with a, a poor run of form. Jurgen Klopp, not known as one of those coaches who rotates quite heavily, but I think as we saw last season, you do have to have that flexibility, and I'm just not sure Liverpool does have that going into this year. Yeah, it's a really good point. I didn't think about the midfield and how that was a little bit weaker than it was in previous years. Um, I'll be really interested to see um, – how much we get from some of those kind of like bit part players, right? We've got Fabinho. Is he going to be playing a, a bigger role this year? Um, and then Tiago as well, who, who is for all intents and purposes, didn't have the best season last season. And there was high expectations of him coming into it. Do we see, do we see those types of players step up to the fold for Liverpool? Um, especially after, you know, you, you lose someone like Jeannie Wijnaldum, who's a top-class player, you need to have somebody step up. And I think they're an aging team in midfield. You look at the Jordan Hendersons and the Milners of the world who are a little bit older, who can kind of play in that role. And I think that they they probably needed to – they've still got a couple of weeks where they can do this, but they probably needed to invest in that area a little bit stronger than they have. Definitely. I, I absolutely agree with that. Um you're right. Like it's, it's aging players in that midfield. And it's also players who haven't, you know, shown us that kind of consistent um, top level run of form. Nabi Keita, another member of that midfield, mm -hmm. a little bit, quite a bit younger, but again, has, has had injury problems, has had form problems. And I would not, you know, call Keita a, a top of the league center midfielder just quite yet. So a lot of question marks with Liverpool. Um, and interested to see how they perform. Uh, any other questions that you have going into this campaign that you want to bring up? Yeah, um, actually, I have uh, have one more, and add a third one that we might be able to fire off quickly here. Um, are Villa better or worse off following their summer transfer activity? So, just a reminder on their transfers: Jack Grealish leaving for Manchester City for one hundred million, and they reinvested that money in three players: Emi uh, Buendia from Norwich for thirty-eight million. Danny Ings from Southampton for 30 million and Leon Bailey from Leverkusen for 30 million, taking their total spend there to 98 million, basically offsetting the Grealish funds that they brought in. So essentially losing your captain, your boyhood Villa fan, your left wing maestro and Jack Grealish, and then basically signing 
a creative midfielder in Buendia, an out-and-out number nine striker to play up top with Sammy Watkins and Danny Ings, and then Leon Bailey, who they think is probably going to be the closest to um, Jack Grealish in terms of like-for-like replacements there, who plays on the left side of midfield, although less of a winger, I would say, than, than Grealish is. What are, your, what are your thoughts there? I think that they've definitely improved, and I, I was really impressed in by how... Aston Villa knew this was coming. I think it was a matter of when, not a matter of if. And they clearly were planning well ahead of the actual transfer of Grealish going through to to acquire those players, to work out deals, um, and to have that pretty much all done and dusted by the time that Grealish was holding up a Manchester City jersey. So I think that as we've seen with a lot of teams in the past, you know, an over-reliance on one player can kind of spell doom for you in the situation in which the player is sold or the player gets injured um and i think that villa has readily prepared for that and uh, taking a page out of leicester city's book you know selling their best player but knowing where that money needs to be reallocated leicester doing that most famously with ngolo conte uh, right after winning the title and then pretty much you know they didn't win the title the next year but not taking a huge step back so i think villa is all for the better with this transfer and uh, tip my cap to them <laughs> another club that i hate to say i wish that newcastle was run like but villa is doing a really really good job with what they have right now yeah i couldn't agree more i think that's a great a lot of great points there. Uh, I will say of the three signings they brought in, you know, you know I'm a huge Buendia fan, obviously, for, for his work at Norwich. He was the top assister in the championship last season. Um, Leon Bailey, a lot of people excited about him. But of the three transfers, Danny Ings, a lot of people saying they overpaid for him at his age for $30 million. Um, but Beautiful bit of business for Villa. He's exactly what they needed. They got a player yeah. like Sammy Watkins, who's trying to come through. Obviously, Ollie, has- Ollie Watkins. Uh, sorry, I keep saying Sammy Watkins. Yeah. Kansas City, uh, Kansas City Chiefs Kansas City receiver, <laughs> Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins making the transfer over from different sport. Uh, yeah. So Danny Ings, anyway. Ollie Watkins will be learning a lot from him this season, and I think he's going to bring on his game leaps and bounds. When you think about it, thirty million for a tried and tested player like Ings. He's rarely injured. Um, he plays pretty much every game in a season for you and he's always a constant goal threat for the teams he's played he has so much premier league experience in his late 20s to come in and to add a little bit of um you know seasoned premier league experience to aston villa this is really astute business from them and it shows me that they mean business uh thoroughly impressed with villa's transfer activity this offseason they haven't really got a high net spend here a little bit more than um there are a couple of other players they brought in for for smaller amounts. But just in general, really astute business, I think. And we could see Villa push on to make a, a challenge for Europe this season. Absolutely. I, I think those are all good points and all, all points that I feel the same way about. Um, you said you had a third quick question. Did you want to fire that off? Yeah. Are, are you surprised about the lack of investment uh, from Rafa Benitez? at Everton since he took over. He's brought in a couple players on free transfers. Um, he's brought in, uh, who, who was it they brought in? Andros Townsend. Uh, he's been linked now to um, Sean Longstaff today, but nothing has happened with that yet. I just assumed, given all the money that was given to Ancelotti over the course of the last few transfer windows, that Rafa Benitez would be given a sizable war chest, and I think his net spend has been about 2 million British pounds. Yeah, I think that uh, that's a really interesting question and an interesting point. 
I mean, it makes me think that Rafa thinks he has the pieces to go forth and, and thinks that, you know, the team that is in front of him is one that will fit his, you know, philosophy. I think that of all the managers in the world, Rafa Benitez is right up there uh, with managers who are known for a very specific philosophy. And if he thinks that he has the pieces in front of him to play you know, very disciplined, very compact defensive style football, uh, then perhaps he he doesn't really think that there's much to, to add to the side. I, I don't think that Everton's transfer window is necessarily over. As we said, there are still about two and a half weeks left in the window, but um, yeah, I, I would never, I would never count out Rafa Benitez for understanding that he has the pieces in place to play the way that he wants to play. Hmm. That's interesting. Cause I don't think he has, um, that's my personal opinion. I think that he definitely needs to strengthen the midfield. There's rumors about James potentially leaving before the end of the transfer window and that he might've played his last game for Everton, which would be a huge shame, super talented player that I'd love to see more of in the Premier League, but I digress. I, I don't think that that might happen. So, yeah, just a quick fire question on that one. I just thought it was curious that we haven't seen uh, more investment from Everton with, with mm-hmm. Benitez. Yeah. Uh, okay, two quick questions for you as well before we hop into our commercial break. That was a lengthy first segment, as, as we always do. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so... Probably the the biggest transfer that has yet to happen in the Premier League is Harry Kane to Manchester City. Um, not a lot of news or kind of any sort of smoking gun over the last few days, but just like the, the Jaden Sancho deal, this is one that we've heard about for years now. Uh, so I'll ask you this, Adam: if if Harry Kane goes to Manchester City, joins up with Grealish and the rest of that star-studded cast, um, does is it an easy repeat? Premier League victory for City? Will will they coast to it, adding the top scorer and assist man in the Premier League? The the answer, the easy answer to that question is yes, it's going to be an easy repeat for them. What I think is the curious kind of backstory here is two seasons ago, we saw a Manchester City side that was really struggling on the defensive side. Um, they lost Laporte. They struggled to uh, keep clean sheets. They had some problems there. They rectified that with the signing of Ruben Diaz and Stone started to play at a higher level alongside Diaz last season, but then they struggled to score as many goals. I think if you add Harry Kane to the mix, they solved that problem um, and they have probably the best attack and the best defense in the Premier League. That's going to equal winning the winning the, um, winning the the English Premier League for me. Absolutely. I think the, the, one, the one variable there is if, uh, if that deal gets done, if Spurs request a player swap or uh, along with the you know million or so pounds that'll that'll come, I, I've heard rumors of uh, either Sterling or uh, or Laporte actually being paired with 100 million pounds to to transfer with Kane. I I think I think if you're personally if you're Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester City offers you Imeric Laporte and 100 million pounds, um, you sign that deal before the paper hits the desk, but. We, we never know, again, how, how real any of those rumors might be. Yeah, that's true. Uh, one one quick kind of additional Spurs point there I want to make. Uh, Hyungmin Son in the offseason signs a new deal with Spurs that takes him um, to the age of 33 or 34 at Spurs. Do you see that, uh, as a lot of people have said, as a lack of ambition on his part to not want to move on to a bigger club and test himself maybe outside of the Premier League or uh, with another team there, or do you see that as faith in his part that Nuno is going to come in and 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 build a great team there? I, that was one of the most shocking things that I read this summer was him signing an extension amidst all the turmoil that Spurs is undergoing. I, I mean, I 
I love Hyungman Son and I would never want to, you know, take a jab at him. But the question about a lack of ambition is an interesting one. Very well settled in London, has been there for a number of years. Uh, you know, as has been reported, he lives he lives with his parents. He lives a very kind of comfortable and traditional life there. And yeah, I I, I wonder that same question if he's he's in this kind of cushy situation in North London and is not really uh, looking to change that. So you could say he lives with Hyungmin dad and Hyungmin mom. All right, question number two. <laughs> Too good. Too good for the first episode. Um, uh, okay, uh, another quick one, Adam. Uh, can anyone crack the top four that we saw last year of Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, and Chelsea? Uh, fast answer again, no. I think that's your top four this year. Pick your order, but those are the top four teams for me. Two Manchester teams. Um, Chelsea and um, sorry, what was the last team that you said? Liverpool. Liverpool, of course. <laughs> Liverpool. Yeah, I think that they're they're back comfortably into the top four of the season. I agree. Uh, okay, um, before we hit the commercial break, let's get clue number one for your EPL trivia. Sounds good. Um, EPL trivia clue number one. A reminder of the question, including Brentford, who make their Premier League debut this weekend. How many London-based clubs have appeared in the Premier League? since it debuted in 1992. The first clue is Millwall were last in the top division in 1988-1989 and has not played in the top division since. So therefore, Millwall are not a team that has played in the Premier League that is London-based. All right. Again, me, me not knowing that Brentford City was in London does not bode well for my answer to this question, but uh, I will do some ruminating and we will... Take a quick break before coming back with our predictions for the upcoming season, uh, as well as Armchair Pundits 10 and 90 and a little preview for the opening weekend. So be right back. All right, everyone, back for the second half of the False Nines episode number 73, the first episode of the new Premier League season. Uh, okay, Adam, this is always a fun thing to do because we are rarely correct at the end of the season with our preseason predictions. So uh, let's how let's let's just run through this one. I will ask you a uh, a category or a, an award, if you will, and you give me an answer and a quick reason why you picked that person. I think that we'll probably have some overlap on this one. So. I will shout out um, my thoughts if I differ. Sound good? Sounds good. Uh, Golden Boot, who's going to be the top scorer of the Premier League? Sir Harold Kane. Indeed. Regardless of what club he's on? Regardless of what club he's on. He's going to bang him in for Spurs like he's always done. He's on track to become the leading goal scorer in Premier League history. And he's only going to get there faster if he moves to City. Imagining Kevin De Bruyne supplying balls for Harry Kane is a terrifying prospect. I think he hits 40. I think he hits 40 if they start every game together this season. Lord. Yeah, what's their record right now for a single amount of goals in a season in the Premier League? It's Mohamed Salah. Oh, yeah. How many was that? It was 30? I think it was 36. 36, yeah. I mean, 40 is not beyond the realms of possibility then. No, not at all. Okay, um, next question I have for you. Who do you believe will be the young player of this season? And just to remind everyone, the young player of this season uh, is the qualification for that is the player has to be 23 years or younger when the season begins. So of that crop, who are you picking for young player of the year? I thought about this a lot. 
and um, I, I went back and forth on a few players, and I was torn between two current Arsenal midfielders. One of them is currently touted to be rumored to moving to Newcastle, and Joe Willock, that is not the player I went with. I went with Gabriel Martinelli. Um, he, had a, he had a fantastic Olympic Games for Brazil, um, performed really, really well in that. Two seasons ago, he was the first Arsenal teenager since, um, I believe, uh, Nicolas Anelka to score 10 goals in a season for Arsenal. And then he was plagued by injuries last season. And he really didn't. He When he got fit, he struggled to get back in the team as a result of his lack of fitness. I think he's going to have a breakout year this year for Arsenal. I think he's a player I'm really, really excited about, Gabriel Martinelli. That is, wow, that one didn't even cross my mind. Um, yeah, I like that. I went with a kind of, a, not a boring answer, but somebody we've talked about at length on this podcast. Jaden Sancho falls under the 23 uh, year mark and I think the the one question with Sancho is you know does is he able to keep a firm grasp on a starting role at Manchester United talked about how there are a lot of people um, vying for those positions but I think that Manchester United does you know had a really really impressive second half of the season last year Ole did in fact have uh, the wheel firmly grasped in his hands um, and I think that if Pogba especially can be showing the form that he showed in flashes during the last Premier League season, I think Sancho is going to have a really good campaign. Yeah, I'm super interested, like I said before, to, to see him play. So I love that prediction. All right. Uh, from young player of the season to player of the season, no age limits on this one, Adam. So if you want to pick uh, Scott Carson, you can go ahead and do so. I did not pick Scott Carson, sadly. Um, but I did pick a player who is, I'm excited again, to see another comeback from injury, just like Martinelli. Uh, old VVD himself, Virgil van Dyke. Uh, I think it can't be understated how important he is to Liverpool Football Club. I think coming back into the team is going to be a huge boost for everybody around him, and he's just a natural born leader on and off the field. He makes such a difference for them. Virgil van Dyke for Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. Very excited to see van Dyke back at it. And again, when he's healthy, he could very well be the best center back in the world. And you know, was on the short list two seasons ago for the Ballon d'Or, which is something that you don't see with center backs quite often. So mm-hmm. I think that that is a, a really, really good shout. Um, for this one, again, maybe not the most creative answer, uh, although there's a fairly limited list of people that I think are up for consideration. I, I think that Kevin De Bruyne repeats this award, um, which is the first time that that will have happened in a very long time. Not exactly sure in how long. Um, but I think that uh, – well, was Kevin De Bruyne a player of the season last year? Or was he, he the PFA player of the season? Ruben Diaz was the player of the season last year. Oh, why did I think it was De Bruyne? Though? That's two, years, two, two years ago was um, De Bruyne. Okay, there we go. So De Bruyne back in that seat, uh, making it three Manchester City players uh, in a row. Um, I think that this is somewhat contingent on them getting Harry Kane, but – uh, I was not necessarily joking about 40 goals for Kane if he links up with uh, Kevin De Bruyne. And I think that Kevin De Bruyne could surpass the, what was it, 21 assists he had two seasons ago um, mm-hmm. if he's able to be giving that ball to, to Harry Kane on a daily basis. Yep, I think he's a, he's a top-quality player. And like you said, that, that prospective link-up with him and Kane is pretty scary for everybody involved. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, last few questions here, Adam. First manager sacked. This is one that we've absolutely never gotten right. So I'm <laughs> curious to hear what you have to say. I mean, I'm going based off of form from two seasons ago when Watford just sacked everybody and then everybody again and then everybody again. Uh, Cisco Munoz. I don't know a lot about him. I just know that Watford as a club like to sack their managers. And I think that, that Watford will struggle this season. And that's who I'm going for as my first manager sacked. I love it because my mind was in the exact same place. Uh, interesting for me to hear that you are not uh, terribly familiar with Zisco Munoz as he does share a name uh, with a, a f- an infamous Newcastle uh, player back in the day. Uh, but yes, I, I think that <laughs> Watford is the, the safe bet um, just – how you know how how short of a leash that their um, front office is willing to have with managers? So I picked the same person. Yep, and Daniel Farka could punch Delia Smith, his chairman, in the face and still not get sacked from Norwich. He is like uh, he's like Jesus there in East Anglia. Yes, I agree. He he's he's what Jack Grealish was to Villa uh, at Norwich. So I think that's a good shout. Yep. All right. So uh, what's next? Uh, last two, uh, turning it over from people to clubs. Um, let's go with the three teams that will be relegated this season. I think Southampton are in big trouble. Um, after letting Danny Ings go, they, they're losing the goal threat. I think Southampton go down in 18th. I think Brentford will bite off more than they can chew, although they're an exciting team. And I think obviously seeing Ivan Tony in the Premier League, all Newcastle fans like you and I are excited to see what happens there um and then watford watford is going to be um probably rooted to the bottom of the premier league table um one interesting signing that i wanted to just kind of um really highlight here because we didn't talk about this earlier on southampton did replace with adam armstrong danny ings I'll be curious to see how he does in the Premier League this season. I just don't think that he is as good a striker as Ivan Tony is, and I don't think that he's necessarily going to score the level of goals that Danny Ings has in seasons past for Southampton, and I worry for that team. Uh, I really do. Yeah, hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, I Two of the three, we, we said the same. I replaced Brentford with Norwich uh, because I, I love to see a, a new club into the Premier League hold their own. Um, so not a lot of like actual reason for why I think Brentford will um, stay up. Although they did sign uh, Christopher Aher, Aher. I, I had difficulty pronouncing this last name on our last podcast as well, but um, the Danish center back who uh, had a really impressive um, uh, Euro tournament. So I thought that was a, a nice signing for them. Um, so I'll, I'll say Norwich goes down instead of Brentford. Southampton, I have them going down as well. An interesting stat for you. Uh, they sold Danny Ings, lost Ryan Bertrand, and Mario Lamina. All three of those players played at least half, uh, started at least half of the matches in the Premier League for Southampton last season. So you're losing three you know, constant starters and not doing a lot to replace them. I think that that is a pretty big issue. And then, yeah, Watford, I think, is, again, (laughs) a a good choice for the team that will go down uh, in the bottom of the table. But, Zach, Theo Walcott signed for Southampton. 
I do, I do, I do have a soft spot for Theo Walcott. Um, he, a player who's, he's, he's always there. You never, you never know what he's gonna do. He'll always pop up with like one really wild goal where he, you know, he he recaptures his pace from 2011 and just like burns the field. Um, I yeah. love, I love that the biggest praise that you could find in your first superlative for Theo Walcott was he's always there. He's always there, man. He <laughs> he is he. He he is always there. He's always active in the Premier League. Um, I don't think he's played in a different league, so he's always there. Always there. All right. Uh, last question for you, Adam. Who's winning the Premier League this year? Uh, Manchester City are winning the Premier League this year. My my top four would be City, Chelsea in second, Liverpool in third, Manchester United in fourth. Um, I think Liverpool will will improve on last year's feet and we'll see Manchester United slip a little bit despite the Sancho transfer and Varane transfer. Um, I think just other teams are going to start to gel a little bit more than Manchester United will. Okay. Manch- the, the reason for Manchester City. Are you saying that without Harry Kane as well? Uh, yeah, with or without. I think City are, City are odds-on favorites to, to repeat. Okay. Um, for sake of parity, I will say that Chelsea wins the Premier League this season. Um, I think that the addition of Lukaku will prove to be a quite fruitful one. You have a number of players who are kind of coming into, I, I wouldn't say necessarily their prime quite yet, but you know, Mason Mount had a, for an England team that I got to say never really impressed me during Euro, uh, Mason Mount uh, did have a, a quite good tournament while he was there. Um, and then you also just uh, have a number of players who are kind of fighting for that starting position. Christian Pulisic, um, you know, you have a, still a nice settled midfield um, in Kovacic and Conte that won you the Champions League last year um, and proving that a defense of quite aged players can still kind of cut the grade. So I'll say that Chelsea nips at this campaign. I might be wrong, but I think if memory serves me correct, you did also predict that Chelsea would win the Premier League last season. Ooh, maybe I'm becoming a Chelsea homer. That would be the worst thing in the entire world. I can't (laughs) stand Chelsea. I just think that they are quite entertaining and exciting football club to watch. Certainly Chelsea under Tuchel has a lot more prospects of winning the Premier League. And that's that's the other thing is Tuchel gets an entire season with them, which he did not have last year and still led them to a Champions League uh, title, which is, you know, pretty damn impressive so yep there you go um okay uh let's before we do armchair pundits in 10 and 90 we'd be remiss to not recognize that there is um you know the first opening weekend of premier league play coming up in just a few days starting on friday with brentford against arsenal um so between the two of us adam let's let's go through a few fixtures that we are excited for opening weekend let's do three of them and i'll let you go first we can maybe alternate on this one i'll I'll get i'll give one you give two okay um i will start then with manchester united versus leeds um we're gonna have more fans in the stadium for this one we have two sets of fan bases that cannot stand each other have long histories and rivalries back obviously manchester united have been way more successful in recent years um, and two teams really that don't really like each other a whole lot. So really good out, outbound attacking football from, from both teams, masses of talent on both sides of the fence there. I'm just really excited for this one. And I think it's going to be a great spectacle for a neutral menu versus Leeds is my first game. 
Yeah, I like that call a lot. Leeds kind of, you know, taking the approach this summer of largely just maintaining the same club, right? Like strengthening their numbers, um, signing Jack Harrison to a permanent deal from mm-hmm. Manchester City. Um, I think they, I think I'm pretty certain that Patrick Danford got an extension on his contract. Um, but yeah, I kind of expecting a lot of the same for, for Leeds. So I like that shout. Um, I will go with, of course, got to be a homer on this one. No, I'm not talking about Newcastle United. I think that Leicester and Wolves will be a really entertaining um, match to watch as the season starts. Very interested, as you touched on, to see if how many of Leicester's new players make the starting 11. Um, I doubt that the new striker will be on the pitch, at least to start the match. Uh, but I think that Sumare could certainly come in and and be playing in, in the starting 11. And then on the Wolves side, Raul Jimenez back to full health. You have uh, a new Portuguese coach um, as well as a couple of new young Portuguese signings as is the Wolves tradition. So um, very interested to see this season if they can get back to the heights that they reached two years ago before the, the big Jimenez injury and then selling Diogo Jota and essentially kind of you know tossing last season out as a wash. And with a new manager in Bruno um, who's yeah. come as uh, ex yep. boss. So just curious to see what sort of setup we'll get from Wolves and how what style of football we'll see them playing after a very predictable style that you saw under Nuno Espiroso Santa for the last few seasons. So I agree. It should be a, a good one to watch. Um, final game I'll go with, and probably the showpiece of the weekend, I think, the one that most people are looking forward to, Spurs versus Manchester City. Spurs playing at home potentially could be one of the last games that we see Harry Kane play in a Spurs shirt if he wraps up a transfer before the end of the transfer window in three weeks' time. Um, And he's playing against Manchester City, the club that he's touted to be signing for. So this one has so many undertones to it. It's just going to be a really, really fun one to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that that is, is, yeah, a a lot of writings on the wall for this one. So it it should be an entertaining one. Yeah, uh, Newcastle, um, just to kind of highlight there, are going to be kicking off their season at home to West Ham. They kicked off last season away at West Ham and won 2-1 in that game. So can we be successful two seasons in a row against the Hammers on opening day? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Hoping for the best, but expecting the worst, as Alphaville once famously said. I think I've said that exact sentence on the podcast before, um, but it remains true. Oh, one one surprising thing: Declan Rice did not leave West Ham this off season. There was a lot of rumors about Chelsea wanting to sign him. Um, didn't happen. Or Manchester United. Uh, Manchester United as well. Yeah, um, and obviously had a great Euros. Um, not a Rice fan at all, but I thought he had a really good tournament. Um, yeah, I I thought about that almost every second I watched of England and, and watching how good he was, how unbelievably solid he was in the center of midfield. I just don't like his massive head and his attitude. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, can't can't support a massive head player. Um, okay, Adam, uh, wrapping it up in our first episode of the new season, we're bringing back armchair pundits because when one else to make a you know more outlandish statement than before any football has been played for a season. Uh, so tell me, what is your armchair punditry for this episode? Uh, mine is very simple. Emmy Buendia will be in the top five Premier Ooh. League sisters this season. Ooh, wow. That is a bold, bold claim. All right. Yep. 
Um, top assister in the championship last season for Norwich is in a far better team now. Has Danny Ings up front and Sammy slash Ollie Watkins also that he can supply goals for. Um, both of whom I think I rate higher than Timu Puki. I think are better strikers both all round than Puki is. Um, yeah. And he's got Premier League experience, right? He's not going to be blinded by the lights per se. He's going to come in and he's going to know what he needs to do. The level of football he's going to need to play at. He's played there before for a full season for Norwich. I see him hitting the ground running, um, and I would imagine him having a really successful season for Villa this year. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm yeah, I'm very excited to watch him him play back in the Premier League. He was like you said, the one pretty much the one bright spot for Norwich in that that ill fated campaign uh, two and, seasons ago. And I love that he chose Villa over Arsenal because that's just hilarious. It is very funny. Yes, I agree with you. Um, the, yeah, regardless of how much of a decision, I guess, yeah, he is the one who has to sign the contract. So he did have some part in the decision. Yep. But just, I mean, how the mighty have fallen from an Arsenal standpoint. <laughs> that is true. Um, nobody wants to play for Arsenal nowadays. Uh, wow, this is funny then. Um, I also went with Naston Villa related armchair punditry. Um, mm. we're, we're having a very pro Villa podcast, which is, not not great for Newcastle United fans to say after <laughs> what happened, uh, what was it, a decade ago. <laughs> uh, but Aston Villa is going to make it to a cup final. I, I think that they just have a team that is kind of perfectly suited for either, either the FA or the League Cup. Um, you know, uh, both, unfortunately, nowadays, even the FA Cup uh, a tournament that can sometimes be treated as, you know, a little bit, of a putting in the youth players for the top clubs who have these cramped schedules. And I think that this is exactly where Villa should be aiming is, is for Europa league football and for a, a cup. Um, and I think that Aston Villa will make it to the final of either the league or the FA cup. All right. I like that. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I think they have much better strength and depth. Now they have, better strikers um, after bringing Ings in. I think they have a little bit more depth there. Tyrone Mings played a lot of uh, games initially in the Euros. I think he played the first two to three games before Maguire came back um, and looked really impressive for, for England defensively there. They've got players who've now got some experience in the Premier League. They're, they're just a good all-round side. And to your point, they're, they're a well-run football club. Pains me to say it as a, as a Newcastle fan, but I'm a very envious of the way that Villa are being run right now and the smart business decisions that they continue to make there. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's something we must admit as, as football analysts, but hate to admit as football fans. Yep, absolutely. All right. On to 10 and 90. Would you like to go first or second today, Zach? Um, I will, I'll go first on this one. I have some interesting questions for once, so I'll I'll leave it off here. Um, okay, 10 and 90, 10 questions in 90 seconds, the way that we have always done it for all 73 episodes of The False Nines. Uh, starting it out, question number one for you, Adam. Um, looking back at last season, we're going to do a lot of last season questions. Um, who scored more goals in the 2020-2021 campaign? Deli Alley or Daniel James? Mm, in the Premier League specifically or just... Yes, in the Premier League campaign last season. I think Dan James did. Dan James did. He scored three goals and Deli Alley did not score a goal in the Premier League last season. Yeah, 
he Dan James scored quite a few towards the end of last season and the season before he started off really hot and then kind of fizzled out. So I hope that we get to see more from Dan James this year, but obviously with Sancho coming in, chances are limited. Limited. Yeah. Got to take advantage of what he has. Okay. Question number two, you're going to notice a similar format. Who scored more goals last season, John McGinn or Miggy Almiron? Hmm. Hmm. McGinn was out for long periods last season. So I'm going to go with Almiron. Correct. Miggy Almiron scoring four and John McGinn scoring three. So of the the Mig, of the Mig brothers in the Premier League, Miggy coming out on top. Oh God. <laughs> um, okay, question number three about the last Premier League season. Which club had the lowest scoring top goal scorer on their team? So that's a kind of a wordy one. Um, of if you look at every all twenty clubs in the Premier League and look at the the player that scored the most goals for them, which club? had that lowest mark for their top goal scorer. Can I ask for a clue? Was it one of the teams that got relegated? Yes. Okay. I'll go with West Brom. Ooh, you had a 33% chance. It was Fulham. Hmm. Who was their top scorer? In question number four, who was Fulham's <laughs> leading scorer last season? And how many goals did he score? I am going to take a crack. It's definitely not Mitro. Um, I am going to track it. take a crack at Bobby de Cordova-Reed. Bobby de Cordova-Reed is a, the correct answer. And how many goals did he put in for Fulham? Five. Wow. Yes, that is correct. Well done. Oof. Total guess on that one. I did I good. remember him being one of the more impressive players for them last season. So. Nice. I yep. yeah. Wow. That was. I thought. I thought you'd stumble on that one. That was. That was impressive. Um, okay. Did you see that Harry Wilson signed for Fulham on a permanent deal as well this offseason. I, I did see that. That's that's upsetting. How how the mighty have fallen from a not that mighty place. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, he was on loan in the championship last season as well. He scored on scored on his debut and Fulham's opening game and scored a belter um, for them. I know that last weekend. So already we already off and running. Love it for, for the young Welshman. Okay, question number five, Adam. Um, this is my favorite that I've found in a long time. Uh, seven players have scored 10 or more goals in each of the last four Premier League seasons. So Ooh. seven different players have scored 10 or more goals in each of the last seven Premier League seasons, or excuse me, each of the last four Premier League seasons. Can you name them all? No. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't expect so, but... Try try to try to rapid fire me of the seven players. How many can you get? I'll give you like a, an imaginary thirty seconds. Mo Salah, correct. That's one. Harry, Harry Kane, two. Um. Oh shit. Four seasons. That's throwing me off. So you have you have Kane, you have Salah, and I will give you the clubs of the next uh, of of let's see three or four of the last five. Uh, you have Leicester, Jamie Vardy. You have Arsenal, uh, Aubameyang. You have Arsenal that's not Aubameyang. Lacazette. 
Lacazette. Um, okay. You have another Tottenham Hotspur player. Hyung Min Song. You have another Liverpool player. It's not Mane, I don't think. Is it? Bobby Firmino would be my other guess. It's ab- I, I, I can't believe you didn't say it's not Bobby Firmino, the, the number nine who is quite truly a false nine. It is Sadio Mane. Uh-huh. I didn't think he got 10 last season. I thought he had a slower season last season. And the last player, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make you reach for this one. The seventh player, Adam, among those uh, along with those six to score ten or more goals uh, in each of the last four seasons it's is Chris, it's Chris Wood. No, really? It's Chris Wood. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. And he's a relative bargain on EPL fantasy for five point five million if you're looking to bolster your front line as well. Chris Wood. Some would say the best the best New Zealand striker in Premier League history. I mean, he's undoubtedly that. I mean, name me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's. I I just I saw that fact. It was blown away that Chris Wood gets to be put on a list of seven players with the other six that we just listed. Probably the best New Zealand player in Premier League history. Not the best Oceania or Australasia player in Premier League history. Tim Cahill. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Glad you got that. And then and then Mark Viduka. The Duco is such a good player. I love that. He just okay. thumped the ball every time he hit it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Angrily hit, connected with the ball every time he made contact. Four four two is Mark Viduka, and that's all yep. that needs to be said. Um, yep. Okay, give me give me your ten and ninety. I, I assume that you have a, a thematically interesting one. I do, and I love this theme, especially because of your reaction earlier on when we were talking about London-based clubs. My theme is Brentford Football Club. No, I'm going to go over five today. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to pick this because I feel like a lot of people don't know a lot about Brentford. Um, So I tried to keep these fairly simple. Um, So hopefully you can you can guess a few of them. Start off easy. What is Brentford's club nickname? Start off easy. Um, Are they the Hornets? You're very close. Um, are they the bees they are the bees yeah that's okay okay yeah Wofford are the hornets and then Brentford that's right yeah so um something to do with an old saying buck up bees because um that that was what they used to say uh that was the saying buck up bees and then the bees kind of stuck it was was bee being for Brentford yeah then bees was drawn out to sound like the actual insect bee weird fact um all right what is the capacity of brentford's brand new ground the brentford community stadium they played in it for the first time last season in the championship and they'd been in their ground for about 100 years prior to that i'll give you five thousand either way be pretty generous here okay uh let's go twenty-five thousand. incorrect um i was actually quite surprised at how small it was given it was a new stadium Seventeen thousand two hundred and fifty is the capacity so uh, it's on the smaller side even for a brand new stadium yeah all right uh who is brentford's current number nine is it ivan tony i wanted to trick you here it's not ivan tony uh it's marcus marcus force (laughs) f-o-r-s-s i thought you'd go for the obvious ivan tony there and i got you uh, you, think, you thought I'd go. You thought I'd go for one of two players that I know plays for Brentford. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're very predictable. Um, all right. What nationality is Brentford's manager, Thomas Frank? Um, he is Austrian. Close. He is Danish. 
Um, God damn it! I I was pretty confident on that one, um, but yes, he, I, I got I got two two flags that looked fairly similar. They have Danish investors and they have people who are on the board of directors who are also Danish. Um, so there's a strong Danish contingent at um, at Brentford, and I believe Marcus Force is actually Danish as well. So yeah, interesting. Yep. As a London club, question five: Brentford have two main local rivals. I'm giving you a little bit of a clue here for our tenant our so far our EPL trivia. Who are Brentford's biggest local rivals in London? <laughs> um I'm gonna go with West Ham and QPR. Ooh, I like it. You got QPR right. Well done. Um nice. West Ham is incorrect. Fulham was the other one. Fulham and QPR um, geographically are the two closest teams to Brentford and are their biggest rivals as a result. And also okay. probably spent the most time with them down in the championship and league one. That, yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, all right. So my Walsh word for the day for you, bonus question. I would like you to pronounce this one for me. It's Y-S. It begins with Y. Beautiful. Y-S-T-A-F-E-L-L. Y-S-T-A-F-E-L-L. Um, Easterful. Uh, it's a it's a good guess. It's a stavish. Uh, <laughs> no. Oh no! It means I started off with a really horrible one. Sorry. It means room, as in like we're recording. I'm recording in my bedroom, and you're recording in your living room. I I like how your Welsh words have nothing to do with anything. It's <laughs> just completely <laughs> random. Sometimes they do. I've been doing a lot of colors recently, and then I think I did Germany was or Almain when we were doing the Euros. That was that was mildly relevant there. Yeah, that that was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I know more Welsh than I did last week, as always. Yep. All right. So I'll wrap up here with Euros trivia. Um, as I mentioned in my last question that I had there talked about Brentford being a London-based club and how many London-based clubs have appeared in the Premier League since 1992. First clue halfway through the pod was Millwall are not one of those clubs. Mm -hmm. Second clue is another team that are not one of those clubs. AFC Wimbledon were rebranded and reformed and have risen through the ranks. Wimbledon were a club that were in there, but not a current club that is active right now. So Neither Millwall nor Wimbledon will count into your final tally. What is your guess for me, Zach, on how many clubs? And you can list them off if it makes it easier. I will undoubtedly list them off. Okay. Um, Tottenham, Arsenal, Brentford, Chelsea, West Ham, Fulham, QPR at seven. Am I forgetting any other ones? I might have to just go with seven. I feel like I'm undoubtedly forgetting an obvious one, but let's let's lock it in for sake of time here. I was trying to follow along, and I didn't. There, there's an obvious one that you're missing, and I'm not sure which one it was. But then the the, the last one, there's nine total. Um, okay, would be would be one that maybe wasn't as obvious. Um, so the, you've got basically the big teams, right? You've got Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, and I would say West Ham are probably the four biggest teams in London there. And then you've got Palace. Oh, yeah, uh, Palace. I, if I 
thought about that harder, I would have got Palace. Yeah. Yep. And then the one that I, the, the the tricky ones I think were here were QPR, which you mm-hmm. did get, and then Charlton Athletic. Okay. I, again, if you told me that Charlton was a small city in England, I would have believed you. Yeah. No, Char- Charlton um, probably five or six seasons spent in the um, in the Premier League during since its inception in 1992. So nine total teams: uh, Millwall and Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon, not being either of those two. In those teams. Okay. Yep. Very interesting. I like yeah. that. Cool. All right. Well, as we've said, Premier League football kicking off in, I guess this will be, this episode will come out on Thursday. So it'll be in just in one day's time. You'll see Brentford defeat Arsenal 1-0 on the opening day. Um, but before we wrap up uh, going into the new season of the false nines, we've had some thoughts, some, some round table discussions between Adam and I, over the summer and want to let you in on kind of a little bit of a change in format that we're going to have in this new season of the podcast. So um, for pretty much all of the 73 episodes we've done so far, I've done a lot of Premier League fixture recaps, fixture previews, and just kind of keeping our finger on the pulse of what has been happening day to day in the Premier League. And we still will be talking about the Premier League in great um, in quite redundant detail, but going to kind of take a new approach this season um, and focus a little bit less on the individual matches and more on these kind of larger uh, themes and discussion points that are occurring in both the Premier League and in world football. So um, this being done in in some respect because we record on a bi-weekly basis, so a little bit difficult to keep up with every fixture that's been played, um, but also looking to kind of open up this podcast to uh, new listeners and more, uh, not more importantly, but more immediately, um, hoping to get some guests on pretty frequently to talk about varying subjects, whether it be national team football, whether it be um, kind of larger discussions around uh, the state of European football, of super clubs uh, like PSG and Manchester City, I'm kind of leaving everybody else in their wake. Um, and, and you know, those big philosophical football-related discussions like that. So um, should be interesting. Again, we will obviously be talking about the big moments that do happen in the uh, the fixtures on a week-to-week basis, but I'm going to try some kind of new things uh, this season. So stay locked in and uh, get excited for what we have coming for you. Yeah, it should be good fun. I think it's going to be nice to kind of have a little bit of a fresh take. And I think people, just from the feedback that I've heard from from listeners who listen regularly to the pod, it's always nice to have an extra perspective. Zach and I obviously have wonderful opinions, and you should all listen to those. But it is great to have a third perspective or even a fourth perspective on the pod. We really love those collaboration episodes we do with the guys over at CHN Radio as well. I'm sure we'll do a, a few of those as the season progresses. Um, but again, want to open the door for, for more people to join us and, and really kind of spread the wings of the False Nines somewhat. Spread our wings and we will we will fly on away. Yep, we fly will fly, fly like bees. Fly like the bees. Up, up the Brentford. Ivan Tony for Premier League score. I'm changing my golden boot prediction. <laughs> <laughs> That's bold. Uh, what? How? How young is he? Could he? Could he be potential for um, young player of the season? Oh, that's a good question. Give me like six seconds. I don't think so. Nope. He's 25. 
25. Same age as Grealish. Adam Armstrong, maybe? Another ex-Newcastle player. I think he's a bit younger. Um, You might be correct on that one. Newcastle Academy, not terribly known for producing top-level talent. So, 24. I haven't told you. Uh, sorry, Adam Armstrong is 24. So, neither will be young player of the season. But could they be player of the season? Probably not. <laughs> Maybe a bolder prediction than Golden Boot. Um, <laughs> all right, we will wrap that one up, and we will be back in two weeks uh, with our next episode. Footy. Footy. See you guys later.